take me right back to the trap. Jack, shoot. Batter up. Hear that call. The time has come for one and all to listen to the A League of Their Own recap podcast. I'm your host, Carolyn Bergier. And if you haven't already, please give this pod a follow on Instagram at League of Their Own Pod. And more importantly, make sure you are subscribed wherever you get your podcasts. Rate it five stars and tell your friends who are also watching the show about it. And if your friends aren't watching the show, get new friends. Today, I am recapping episode five called Backfooted. It's directed by Catrell Kindred and written by Amphenisa Odafia, who I am ecstatic to say is my guest for today. Her TV writing credits include 13 Reasons Why, Little America, and Pachinko. And she's widely known for her prolific work as a playwright, including Sojourners and Her Portmanteau, which has a run at the George Street Playhouse in New Brunswick from October 11th to the 30th. So if you're in the tri-state area, you should check it out. Coming up to the plate, let's give it up for Vanessa Udafia. Vanessa, I'm so excited that you are here to recap your episode of A League of Their Own. How are you? I'm well. I'm excited to be here too. And I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Tell me and our listeners how you came to write for the show. Oh my goodness. How did I come to write for the show? Well, it was an interview process. I remember my phone conversation with Will and Abby. And I remember that I was really excited when they were kind of talking to me about it, going what they're going to do, how they were holding African-American women through this time period. And I was like, oh, 1940s potentially gay Black women. Okay, so let me tell you a little bit about what I know. So this is a great migration. And I just started talking and talking and talking. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, okay, come on, come on. I was like, this it's so exciting. Because I remember telling this to Will and Abby that this is a, a time period that's really invisibilized for Black queer life. Yeah. So I think I started geeking out on them about that and like migration patterns and like trying to build backstories that they were like, okay, Come on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's it it started for me as a as an interview with them. So that's awesome. And in terms of writing for TV, is that something because you're a playwright? Oh, you've done your research. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And and you're and you're not the only playwright in the room, too. You have Sanaz. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sanaz (laughs) and uh, Morgan and I, you know. M is uh, a theater director, and I, I also believe also writes as well. It was a very theaterful uh, room, but no, I, I didn't dream of writing for TV. You know, there are yeah. some people who wake up and are like, that's what I want to do. I don't even think I dreamt of writing. Like when I was starting out, I was like, I'm just very Nigerian. You got to tell me too if I can like swear or not. My mouth can be what my oh, mouth yes, is. Oh, yes, you can. You can. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Go okay. for it. So I'm hella Nigerian. <laughs> you see this, <laughs> you see the swear I chose was still light because <laughs> my mother might be watching this. Hi, or hearing this. Um, very, very Nigerian. And so, I mean, the, the stereotype that you hear is like, oh, you're going to like go be a, a doctor, a lawyer, uh, a journalist. And I definitely was that. And so yeah. it took a long time to find the artist in me. And when I started yeah. that journey, it was through acting first. Okay. And then that big old recession happened. Right. And 
I was processing the world and I processed in the way that I studied. So it all came out as plays. And then those plays took off. Yes. So that's how I came to it. And then I was like, oh, no, I, I, I love this. These false starts were actually helping propel me to where I needed to go. Yeah. So. You mentioned the uh, invisibility of queer Black women in this time. Going back to the original movie, there is basically just a nod yeah. to to the players when they throw the ball back in um, to the field and, you know, looks are exchanged. But that was it in the movie. What was your relationship to that 1992 film? Okay, so I would have been like eight or so. So I wasn't there, I think, emotionally or with what the hype might have been. And then I also grew up, like I said, like a sheltered little Nigerian girl. So like, I remember eating like my first hamburger where maybe people here might not remember that. And so when that movie came out... I don't, I, it did not hit me. I think I, I watched it. I was trying to remember when I watched it. I would have been in high school and, yeah. and I think I was young high school. And I remember loving this movie and ha- having no ability to understand why I loved it. It was something about all the women coming together. It was something about the camaraderie. Uh, I was one of those people who liked the pink (laughs) uniforms (laughs) a lot. And like, I didn't come out myself until college. So I don't think I had words to know what it was I liked within the movie, except that I loved it. And then I was like a chunky little kid. And so I was like, well, the sport I play is softball. And so (laughs) I ended up playing a sport but I don't know that I was like drawing lines as to why I was doing what I was doing or how but the movie was doing something to me so that was my relationship to it a little undefined I like this and I can't tell you why yes for sure and so few movies at that time uh, gave us these kind of storylines between women. Yeah. And not only was it just one kind of relationship between women, but it was friendships, it was sisters, it was teammates, Mm -hmm. and all of those different layers was was so rare. But what you were saying made me wonder, is that why I wanted to play sports was just to be (laughs) like on a team with women? Because I... I wasn't good. Like I was good enough to make the team, but then I just kind of wanted to hang out, you know? (laughs) Exactly. I mean, for me, that movie helped me see something not traumatic too inside of physicality. Cause like I I was alluding to, I was like a chunky kid. So people kept trying to push me into sports to fix a thing as as opposed to being within sports because you love it. Right, right. Because it's a talent that you have that's not necessarily attributed to your body right away. There was something about it which made me go, softball when I was playing was one of the sports I chose as opposed to a sport that I was pushed into to fix something. Yeah. Wow. And I chose that, I think. because of something I saw in a movie and that was the closest 
mirror. So I just right. went, okay, I'll do this. And I had, I had the time of my life. And, but that's what I mean when I'm like, I wasn't, there was no way when I was that age that I was doing that kind of like refined logic work. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's just my body was like, okay, well, if I have to play the sports, the one I choose is this one. Yeah. Softball. Yeah. I love that. Well, let's get into this episode. Okay. In episode four, we leave off with Max confronting Shaw about what she saw weeks before, but really just as a way to get her help with something. Mm -hmm. She thinks maybe, you know, Carson isn't going to just willingly come help her. So she kind of yes. <laughs> gives her quite a scare uh, yes. <laughs> by, by bringing that up. This episode, it's a pretty big one in terms of marking change and growth for Max and Carson. It's mm-hmm. it's like a huge, huge episode for, for both of them as characters. What were the themes that you were looking to explore here? I was looking, we were as a room looking and then inside the writing, I was looking for those moments this is the moment where you see your you, you you see yourself. So Carson is going to go on the journey of understanding what look like or feel like to her to be innocuous words, just a happenstance of a moment from four. Um, all of that feels like she's at the center of it. She's going to realize how that ripples out and affects others. And for Max, it's like a real internal excavation on, you know, am I good enough? What am I putting out into the world? Who am I? So all of them are kind of self-reflecting throughout yeah. this episode. And they're like, they're the many violences along the way as you are learning a little bit more about who you are. They're learning about themselves and also having kind of like these big reactions. Yes. Along the way, too, that send them to kind of these extremes for moments yes. as they're figuring it out, which we'll definitely get into. We're still at this point where the the audience, much like Max, we're wondering, is Max any good? Is, is it, And you get you kind of get a sense more that it is in her head. She's hearing the voices yeah. and, and everything. But coming off the performance with the screws, you're like, oh, can she, you know, not play under pressure can she not keep up with the boys or is it all in her head and then when Carson hits that pitch off of her that's devastating for yeah Max yeah it is and I also like it's also the fastest pitch Carson has probably hit off of right like it's taking Carson aback and yeah for me it's a it's a mo like yeah, Max is actually really, really good. The question yeah. isn't, is Max, for me anyway, isn't, is Max good? It's like, can Max be the absolute best? Because that's what she has to be. Like, I feel for right. me the cost of having a bad day. Yeah, yeah. She's a character because of the intersectionality she lives within where she can't have a bad day. You can't have a bad showing. Yeah. Or a second chance. You don't get that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so 
she's still brilliant. She's still great. It's just like if, if she's pitching in such a way that someone can hit off of her, what does that mean when you have to be, or you, the world is such at this moment where you have to be singular? It feels yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I love then the next scene that we get with Max. We go from there to <laughs> Max. It's the apology. I mean, I love the whole way this next scene un- unfolds at the factory. It's one of the most fun scenes in, in the whole season, I think. But that we get Max apologizing to Clance. Mm-hmm. And I think that's... Great, because Max kind of forgetting that Clance has her own shit that she's dealing with happened in the in the last episode. And I feel like sometimes. Treated with um, just like it just feels so, so real. And it's like if you never had that apology. Yeah, no, you know, you like we needed that. Absolutely. They're truly friends. I mean, they're yeah. beyond friends. They're like siskin right. friends is what I call my yeah. folk. <laughs> you know? Yes. They are they are kin. They are family. And Max made a mistake. Yeah. And and it's terrible because Max made a mistake in the middle of one of the lows of her life. And it's not until you get into like real thick friendship where things like that happen, where you're like, oh, okay. What's happening to me is just as important as what is happening to, and like, what is the balance of that? And how do I hold yeah. all of that? And I have to say sorry. I have to say sorry to you uh, while also knowing I was and still am in the middle of crap. It's, it's shitty right now. So, yeah. Yeah. And so I, I love them for that. I think they're great yeah. role models. I know. It's definitely friendship goals. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Well, then we meet Gracie and Clance compares her to to Josephine Baker, which I know that Clance and Max at this time do not know that Josephine Baker is bisexual. No. Um, but were you were you hinting at Grace's sexuality with with that reference or (laughs) was it just more an aesthetic thing? I mean, vibe. Writers. Am I reading too much into this? Writers, (laughs) right? So like a great writer. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, That's just, um, I mean, she's an icon of the day. And if if you're tracking clients, you know, she was talking about Lena Horne. She's talking about Josephine Baker. She's got her eye on what a public Black woman is doing. When she sees Grace, I mean, Grace is, I mean, no holds by one of the most beautiful women she's ever seen. And so then she links to the other beautiful, most beautiful woman she's ever seen. And of course, it's a writer joke that inside of that, we know who that woman is. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all part of the course for, for Clance. And it's one of the things that I love about her. Like, Clance is drawing inspiration from black beauty yeah you know she's not looking at other people to get that affirmation for herself she's like oh we got our folk and so she she just pulls from her folk speaking of folk cheryl (laughs) (laughs) 
uh, you know, having having watched the whole season, um, like have no idea how how big Cheryl's gonna come back, but uh, this scene definitely does a great job of setting up the energy because I think in the last episode it's kind of a blink and you miss it mm-hmm. moment where where Cheryl's in there, but her coming up to Clance after Max. And Clance are having their whole, we're fine, we're doing great, we're obviously, they're not doing great. And then between Cheryl dumping the horrible news about how the black soldiers are being treated in the war, and then the men walking behind talking about Max choking, it sets up this perfect storm for them eating the lunches. What a choice. Talk about that. It was so funny. I mean, I mean, what is the way you can strike back a little bit? Like you need enough cover <laughs> that it's not going to blow back at you. <laughs> it's got to be small enough, but also like maybe a little vicious enough. And then like, fill me because I'm hungry right now, too, because like my world yeah. blowing apart. It just like covers a lot of what's happening internally and then lets them just like smack at the outside world just enough. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I do. I love Cheryl. We all have a Cheryl. (laughs) I have a Cheryl where you're like, you had to say it like that right now. Cheryl. Okay. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. That scene just every like the the lines, the timing of Mm -hmm. the back and forth between those two, which is, you know, incredible the entire season, but especially in that scene and just Mm -hmm. the physical humor, the trading of the pear and the apple, just the attention to detail and how they're eating other people's lunch. Uh (laughs) It's Uh, so good. I love that they also let it be sloppy. Like, you know how sometimes you watch, I mean, I love, I love Bemi and I... (laughs) I, I mean, the way they are actually eating, let me letting me see the food. And yes. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. They didn't make that neat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now we're back in the locker room. We're talking about the fight that happened in the previous episode within mm-hmm. the team. There was a brawl. Now, I know a lot of this show is pulling from real things that happened in history. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes there are moments that I'm like, wait, did this happen or did it not? Because it sounds like it wouldn't happen. But then I'm like, but it's weird enough that it would have. Did the Girl Scouts ever boycott the league? I actually don't know. I cannot speak. Okay. I cannot speak to that. And Will and Abby, if I'm supposed to know that and don't know, I'm sorry. I don't. <laughs> that one I don't know. Yeah. I mean, could, couldn't you kind of see it though? Like it's it's a little bit silly, but then it's like, it I could. Don't know, Girl Scouts could have been. <laughs> it could. It could, especially when you're talking about like decorum and the right way to be a, right. a, 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 a girl. Now, I don't know right. if it hit that kind of, I'm sure, I'm sure if it did happen, it would have had to have been local because if it was yeah. big, big, that's a problem. But right. I, but um, <laughs> yeah, these are not the best role models right now for on how to be a woman. <laughs> so. Right. Which makes me, which makes them the best role models for me. But yes, right, right. I was gonna say role models for who? Exactly. Uh, uh, another cool thing I want to bring up is in this scene, mm-hmm. Carson is told that she will have to continue on as coach mm-hmm. in Dove's absence, and 
Will Graham uh, on Twitter tweeted that the story of Carson becoming the coach of the team is based on a real incident um, from the AAG PBL where the coach was fired mid-season and three of the players had to take over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that happens in the show and you're like, oh, this is just making no good good TV. This would have never happened. They never would have put this new player in charge. But what, it did. It did. And I mean, that's a great thing of the room is how much of the, there was such a focus on trying to research and try to find as many tendrils back into history as possible. And it's yeah. also Carson as coach is such a great learning for our, you know, one of our, our leads. What is it to like now helm a team, especially when you take a look at who Carson is and how Carson sometimes just has a hard time, like stringing together a sentence and knowing what Carson's <laughs> desire is. Like Carson's yeah. desire keeps splintering and that it, it, it's hard for her to hold. Now she's got to hold all of them. And so once right. you find that in history, you're like, give it to Carson. i love that i also love that don finelli the the actor he says uh kiss and make up well no kissing Mm -hmm. and kirsten goes yeah we won't do it but we'll we'll act like we want to (laughs) exactly all this cover on queerness was it mr baker jr baker jr Yeah, Yeah, yeah 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 Uh, yeah, all of this covering for the, and for me, I'm like, oh, Beverly, but for me, I'm like, Beverly is a little like slick right there. How much does she know? Like, is Beverly, right? Beverly's like, no, no, no holding hands. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay, Beverly. <laughs> right, right. We get, we get a great dose of Beverly in this episode mm-hmm. and get to know a little bit more about her backstory. And I, I do love the way that that character unfolds kind of like from here mm-hmm. on out um, that she's so much more than just a chaperone. I mean, it started a little bit in the last episode where the chaperone from the other team is like, well, what about the agreement with like no stealing the bases? She's like, bye. <laughs> Goodbye. <Yeah. laughs> uh, no, I, I love Beverly. I also think Dale Dickey, who's playing her is a gem. Um, yeah. And she's got a real history to her, you know, like in yeah. the army and it comes out in the show and like what it takes to be a woman in her position. And you see her now as a chaperone, but like, it's the same, I guess, as like the women you're seeing now. And you're like, I wonder what it took for you to get the position I see you in. I always wonder that right. about Beverly. So, yeah, now that Carson is coach, Mm -hmm. people are trying to take advantage of her, making all sorts of demands. Mm -hmm. And that is their it's it's interesting that that's their first instinct is like, how can I use this news to my advantage? That's right. That's absolutely right. And I think it's also something about what Carson is still putting out in the world that she's a little nebulous. Yeah. So it's like, oh, I might be able to manipulate that person to my right. to my end. So it's um that's why we knew it was gonna be a great journey for her to be a coach, because in her leading others, she also is gonna have to know how she wants she's gonna have to start figuring out how she wants to lead herself. You can't yeah. do one without the other. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have this amazing scene with 
Shirley. No, Shirley. <laughs> I love me some Shirley. <laughs> oh, who doesn't? I mean, Shirley, this is one of my favorite scenes of the episode as well. She's still like very worried and obsessed with this idea that that Joe's gay and that her cousin said it spreads like the flu. Um, and then Carson tries to save the situation by implying that Joe is sleeping with Dove. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and, and then when Shirley goes, I sensed it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then the follow-up when he was making her run, that was sexual. There was exertion and repetition and rhythm. <laughs> I don't know how Abby did that scene. I don't know how, I don't know how she did that. You can't, Look at Shirley, Kate Berlant. You can't, I feel like you wouldn't yeah. be, because like, what's wonderful about Shirley is if you tell her a flat thing, she's going to fill in the spaces on her own. <laughs> she's going to be like, great, because I trust you and because you are my friend and because you told me something that you know to be true, I'm going to backfill how that makes sense for me. And yeah. So- as Carson, you can't. I uh, you can't look at Shirley as she's doing this. I was like, oh, really? yeah, yeah. Anyway, I imagine that that Shirley is such a fun character to write for, just because oh. the character game is so strong, and then yes. also Kate Berlant is such. She might like be, a voice. Yeah, a, a comedic, <laughs> she might be like a a comedic genius. I mean, you just give her the smallest little bit, and it becomes this epic like comedic, I don't know. It's just, Kate is incredible with that. Have you seen Kate? Her what? Which Her her one woman show. I, okay, no, I haven't. I've, saw, I've seen some clips of her with John Early. Okay. And so that's how I knew of Kate before. It's incredible. I, it's so, it's so, it's so Kate. It's just like bizarre, great. It's a journey. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. And thank you for letting me know because sometimes I get caught up in my own writing work that I don't like look out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to go see this because I think she's fantastic. She's fantastic. So, yeah. There's a part in Kate Berlant's One Woman show that's going on at the Conley Theater right now where, I mean, a a big part of it is about being um, an actress trying to cry on command. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And that shouldn't spoil anything but that's like an, an element to the show uh and then when <laughs> when re-watching this episode seeing the the no crying oh, yeah. in baseball scene with oh, Carson. <laughs> <laughs> oh i love how that no crying in baseball moment also changed for our show so uh and how it was i mean one of my favorite characters is is Jess. I love me some Jess. Every writer says that. From, Every writer I've talked to ah! is obsessed with Jess. <laughs> it's just there's something so flat-footed and direct where I feel like the bluntest thing I think is exactly what I can write for Jess. Yeah. I don't have to like transcribe it. I don't need to make it into anything else. If I'm like, oh, that's shitty. I'm like, Jess would say that just like that in open air. Yeah. There's no cover. It makes her so fun to write for. Yeah. And this is a great episode to write for with Jess. I, I do love the way that the no crying was brought back because it's 
for sure the most iconic line from the movie mm-hmm. is there's no crying in baseball mm-hmm. and th- this whole show has done an incredible way of taking little nuggets from the movie but making them ownable to the show or having it done in a new way mm-hmm. that feels uh, ownable from the show so I love that um, that could be in this episode real quick jumping back to oh, okay. Shirley talking about <laughs> Dove and Joe okay yes is that Joe is in the background yelling about how she's a Leo now I heard from Desta that there were um, more attempts to get <laughs> astrology written into the the show she oh, pointed man. fingers at sanaz but uh it's, it's but was le- like oh here it is a leo exactly it was a real thing in our room i mean we all <laughs> knew each other's sun rising moon poor desta poor desta <laughs> hey i asked her i asked her what max's sign was she's like i i do not know <laughs> Uh, it was it was a fun part of the room to like figure out who we all were and what we were bringing. Yeah. So like myself, the Taurus, I was trying to pitch as much sensual sex as possible. We all stayed in our lanes. We stayed in our astro- astrological lane, except for Desta, who was like, I don't have a lane. <laughs> it was it was a lot coming of fun. from that law background. Yeah, Come, she's exactly. Not, she's not, she's not messing around with that. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Oh, speaking of sensual, those car scenes, let's <laughs> let's get into it. Yeah. I mean, the the Titanic of it all. When <laughs> I know, right? Aren't you just waiting for that hand <laughs> on the window pane and the dripping sweat? No. Right. <laughs> What's happening is we like made it very, very kind of like lesbian here where we're gonna like also have the hot and heavy and then okay, so like listen, I'm having a little bit of a can we talk through this scenario? <laughs> yes yes which i listen that's that's a little bit that's a little bit of me as well you know with um uh, yeah abby carson really needing to process where she's at while also right really wanting to kiss greta at the same time two things can live right <laughs> right <laughs> and the the second time skipping ahead a little bit that they're making out mm-hmm. in the car and Greta gets kind of frustrated with Carson and is like, you know, Joe was right. And I, it almost felt like maybe Greta had been just like so focused on wanting to make out with Carson to not have to address some own, some things that were coming up for her. Yeah. And she was like, it was almost like, Oh, if I keep kissing you, then I can pretend that, whatever stuff you're trying to project (laughs) Mm -hmm. and any of this like control and making everything about you. Like if we could just make out, I can pretend that this isn't going on. And then you kind of see that frustration with like, well, that didn't work. (laughs) Exactly. Well, cause like the conversations that you have in between kissing are also the things that move a relationship forward. I love that. Put that on a Instagram text block. (laughs) So, you know, the more we talk in between our kissing, the more important this is. Yeah. And so I do think with where Greta is at after that fight and after like that conversation with Joe, it's like, can I keep this contained? Can it just be physical right now? 
And what Carson is doing is continually driving like an emotional responsibility toward Greta. And that's yeah. not where, it's not that it's not what Greta wants. It's that it's really hard for Greta to be there without thinking about the weight and the potential cost. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And when she mentions in the car, Joe was right. I thought, oh, what are those conversations that they have? And then thankfully, we get a conversation between mm-hmm. uh, Greta and Joe because we don't get to see the the two of them alone that much in mm-hmm. the show, mm-hmm. um, having these kind of conversations and question, because I, I have seen people ask it online. Do we know why Joe calls Greta bird? She does it a lot in this scene. I think it's just, this is just me. And if it happened in the room that there's more context to this, it's, it's, I don't know where the pet name came from. It came inside the writing, it feels like. And then you know how those things sort of catch and you're like, yeah, it is bird, isn't it? And then we all yeah. as writers <laughs> start going, oh, right. hey, bird. And then it's in the outlines and it's in the scripts. and But I can't tell you where it started from. Going back a little bit, we have um, the scene where Max is at home ripping the baseball um, posters off the wall. Um, Tony says the line that just gets you right in the gut. It's not my job to like you. It's my job to raise you. Mm -hmm. And these Max and Tony scenes throughout the show are some of my favorite. What's your approach to writing this scene with Max and Tony, because it's, it's so heavy and it does so much. So these are my favorite scenes. The, these are the um, Max and Tony's relationship has been something for me as a writer. I've been very interested in how we are tendering uh, these two characters. Um, and I think for me uh, and when I would talk about them in the room, it's it's for Tony. Uh, real fear-based. I think this is a woman who's got, I mean, it's going to come out a little bit, like a real history with her own relative and is watching that history maybe play out. And for Tony, it's really like the question on how do I keep you alive and safe? Less, less for me, uh, a judgment on who Max might become and who Max actually not even become is. Yeah. Uh, And more on, is this survivable for you? And that's where you get a line. Like it's not about liking you. It's about raising you and keeping you alive. Um, And that's really complicated and tough when Max is at the place of, I need to figure out how to be. And who I might be, I'm very worried you hate because all Max has are the like stories of Birdie. And that feels like steeped in trauma and wreckage. And so, and if, if that's me, then like, oh God, where do I belong next to you? So there's so many conversations I think that these two need to have with each other, but the moment they're within, it's so fraught, they can't. To me, it's one of the best mother-daughter relationships that I've ever seen play out. 
on TV. Like, I'm trying to think of anything that beats it for me, mm. but it just hits on like so many real things that mm-hmm. mothers and daughters go through or, or kids and parents in, in general, but, um, and hits like at the very core of what's driving those behaviors and those conversations and those fights. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, in this moment, especially so many people growing up have that moment where both the parent is like, well, then you could just leave mm-hmm. and the, or the kid's like, okay, I am leaving. And then it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and also, did you catch the little bit of a breath that Tony took? Yes. Before Tony said, don't leave or, or don't go, let's stay, let's talk. Yeah. And for me, it's also in those moments where uh, that little breath where I just needed you to advocate for me just for like, let that be your biological response as opposed to the fear. Yeah. And there's no way Max can stay. Yeah. Because you took to everything about you, Tony, takes just a bit longer than I need you to take. Mm-hmm. And then she goes right to Clance and... <laughs> who's also not doing well. <laughs> who's not doing well and, and needs a little spoon. Yeah. <laughs> needs, needs a butt to cup in the night. <laughs> Uh we all need a butt to cup in the well okay sorry yes (laughs) yes we do uh and then carson you know brings a pie to the factory meets up with max later tries to pay her off i was wondering is carson here a little bit spooked maybe by Shirley because Shirley's like, should we report Joe to the police? And I know Carson has a lot going on with coaching and trying to keep the team together, but Max was also kind of dangling this like, Oh, I remember what I saw. Exactly. That's <laughs> over her head. I think that that's exactly right. Between the Mac, like the remembrance of how Max even got her to the field. And then yeah. Shirley's like impulse to like drive something out into the light because it must be there yeah Carson like she needs to cut off anything at the past that might be coming for her yeah so then she goes you know she goes to that factory brings a a pie makes a mess of a mess (laughs) (laughs) and then wants to pay for for silence it's it's a small thing but it is um when you, it, those are big steps to take, which let you know that the time was that could feel that dangerous. Yeah, the have a catch versus play catch. Oh man, that was debate. A, that was a fight in the room too. Listen, did you hear that? Or I don't know if you've heard this story. No, I want to know more about it because I know, like my ex-wife used to say, "Have a catch," and I grew up playing catch so when I saw that on the show I mean that's the first time I'd actually like seen that out there I'm like wait okay. yeah, that is a weird thing yeah so I want to hear more tell me <laughs> well, it happened in the room where it was Abby who was saying have a catch I think I think I think it was Abby and there were some of us in the room that was like you mean play catch so it actually <laughs> happened the same in the room going that is a regionalism that we didn't realize was happening. And so we're like, ah, bet, got it. 
into the show. But it was yeah. it was Abby in the room who I, I know I was one of them who cocked my head to the side and go, why you say it like that? Sway, I'm not I'm not understanding. <laughs> I'm not understanding. Right. Why is it have a catch? Like how do you have a catch? You play it. No. Right. <laughs> and so yeah, it was a big old we had a big old moment in the room that then ended up in the show. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I love that. I love that so much. Carson introduces the term the yips yes. to Max, which is probably very comforting for Max to know that, okay, like there's a name for this. This isn't just me and something that I'm I'm plagued with, but also kind of realizing that, Carson is right. Like, it's not a, a problem with her physical ability. She's got to sort out who she is. And that's what leads her to go and seek out her Aunt Birdie, which has been something that's been on her mind ever since she heard her mom talk about Birdie and, and all that. She goes there, was not expecting this, even though on rewatching, Gracie's like... You said your last name is Chapman when they meet. So yes. she she knew the Chapmans. Yes. Uh that yeah, Grace Gracie is uh Bertie's partner. I was kind of wondering though, because in this scene, Bertie goes by Bertie. Mm -hmm. They say aunt, but then in the next episode, there's this very like moving forward, it's just Bert, this is my uncle Bert. Unless it was to Clance to be like, oh, that was my Aunt Bertie, this playing between the two, I know that happens a lot in the show between the Max and the Maxine. When are you Max? When are you Maxine? Mm -hmm. um, but it was interesting to see, yeah, like what what are the rules for for that with Bert? I I only need to go back and rewatch it myself, but I think when Max goes to Bert's house and sees Gracie, Max is making, I mean, is assuming. And saying Aunt Birdie, I'm looking for yeah. my Aunt Birdie, and uh, I don't know that Gracie corrects it, but just calls up Bert, come down, and then it's Max who is like, "Are you my Aunt Birdie?" The like tone yeah. sister, and yeah, it, and it's it's in that moment that Bert himself clarifies. Well, I'm everything you said. I, I, my, well, my name is Bert, something like that. My name is Bert and everything else you said is up in the air. Yeah. And it's in there that I think a little bit of the clarification starts like coalescing and Max right. might slip around a little bit, but then as the relationship grows. Yeah. No, uncle, because Gracie, I believe, never slips in that. That's my, that's my husband. That's my person. Gracie, Gracie does say Birdie says your aunt Birdie in this episode. Oh, does say your aunt Birdie? Yeah, 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 yeah. Ah, uh, well, then I, you know what? I, I wonder if that's just then a moment between her and um, Max going like kind of throwing back Max's words. That's yeah. For you. That that's how I took it as exactly. maybe like this is your first exposure and exactly. maybe they could tell that Max was not expecting that's right Aunt Birdie to look like this exactly to because, act like this yeah. because in the room we had a lot of discussions about what this is what this moment is and so if there's any slippery it's only right here and then from yeah, here yeah yeah I don't think you will be seeing that. Anymore. Right. And it's more because of the position Max is coming in. 
Yeah. And then from there, it's Bertie, Uncle Bert. That's my husband. That's mine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, Max leaves and walks out the door and yep. makes her first exit because she is overwhelmed with the situation. It's mm-hmm. not what she was expecting. And she needs to process that and probably not while eating some food that they made right in front of <laughs> Crazy right. and Bert. And I think it's really tied back to that moment in four where Tony was so afraid she'd be an invert. Yeah. And like Bertie. Yeah. And now Max is looking at Bert and is like, what what does this mean about what people are thinking of me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. I didn't even think about it in that way, but that makes so much sense of like, yeah, at first I thought she was just shocked to see. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, that that it wasn't what she was expecting. But then, yeah, to make that connection right away of like, oh, my mom's afraid that I'm going to I'm be like this. Is this my future? Is this who I am? And so yeah. like Max is running headlong into questions that Max is just really starting to be able to articulate herself it's almost like when your body is moving faster than your mind and then you get a little startled and are like this is what people are afraid of for me wait who am i (laughs) so she goes to gary's to figure it out (laughs) Uh, uh uh-huh or to actually i think like plant a flag and go i can i i am (laughs) i am a woman in this way Oh, right. Whatever that is. She runs to her mom first. She goes Mm -hmm. back to Tony saying, maybe I'll pick up a weekend shift. You can do my hair. Just being so sweet. And maybe for just like such a big reaction to having seen Bert, Mm -hmm. then goes to to Gary's. Mm -hmm. And she can't even she can't even think of something to say to him. She says, nice sheets. I I mean, what do you say? She's on this whole jag of I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I can be the picture in your mind. I I can be whatever it is you think of as normal. And I know that that's a loaded word, but I wonder if how much Max is playing inside of that. And is at her mom's and is like, you do my hair. I can do this. I can be your good daughter. I I can do this, Gary. I can be a good girlfriend. And I think this is what a good girlfriend does. And so, (laughs) oh, and she can't. She can't. She actually can't. So she got to leave because she can't. And yeah, it's so awkward. I'm just glad that Gary didn't waste his Dr. Pepper on the occasion. Me too. He was saving that. I know, right? Poor Gary. He'll be fine. He was probably drinking that alone afterwards. (laughs) Will he be fine, though? I I worry about... (laughs) I talked about this with Michelle with the last episode because Gary's like, what about my dreams? And we go to his bedroom and he also has posters of baseball players on, on his wall and the, and the pendants and everything. Mm -hmm. Like I, I feel like Gary, Gary has his dreams that are very legitimate and probably to other people seem more realistic because he, he's a man and at least men are playing in the Negro leagues and, 
but his dreams are always treated as, you know, he's, he's just like never they taken are. seriously. They are. He, he isn't, he isn't taken seriously. And yes, you are right. There is a, there is a pain there because this is a young man who has just as much passion. It, it's not here. <laughs> and I, I, yeah, I'm not going to, blow what's coming but a part of a part of what fuels him is the same thing that fuels max yeah and the moment in which they can you know ally yeah interesting that yeah would be interesting but for gary what i'm saying you know it's definitely not going to work and we all i i hope can be on board with is like that's not his girlfriend that is not that is no. not, that is not his life that is not end game sir that is not <laughs> that is that is not so you know what i do get a little mad at him for sometimes not holding the fact that she is as passionate as he is. Right, right. Because, of course, the way that she doesn't take his dreams seriously, he's like, but you're a woman. Like, you can't even work at the factory. You can't even join the team. So why does this dream matter? Like, he can't understand it either. The two yes. of them are never going to, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's kind of doing something similar. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, you know, they both have to deal with all of the prejudices of the time and all of the obstacles that are put in front of them because he, you know, probably has the the same thing of like not being uh, afforded second chances. And That's right. Yeah. That's right. I think what makes the show different is that a lot of the times we don't look at the black woman that's going through that. And yeah. so what we've done is a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a switch where your your gaze is on the black woman going through that. Where in a lot of the things yeah. that I've seen, it's the gaze is on the black man going through that very same thing. For sure, for mm-hmm. sure. And mm-hmm. I'm not trying to put the gaze back on um, <laughs> man. No. If anybody listens to my other podcast, they know that no. is not my MO. <laughs> No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just, you know. And that's not, yeah, no, and that's not what what this show is about, of course. But I, but I do think that the character of Gary, um, in relation to Max, is very interesting. Yes. Um, of of how those two relate to each other, and especially in this scene where it's just a a disaster. Oh, it's a disaster! It's so awkward. This is the one that I am so like my Nigel uh, family. I'm so concerned for them watching this one. I'll have so many like calls going. You wrote that? I'm like, yeah. Well, I did. Next question. <laughs> it's so good. The sequence of events once she gets there. It's per- like that is exactly how it would play out. So great job on that. When we get back to the field and Carson is trying to get everyone to just have a catch, but is still kind of like struggling with being coach. And that's where we get the the no crying line in. I have a side question yeah. that this brought up because when they're all coming in from the field, um, Maybell, uh, I notice has her glove in front of her stomach. I know that the actress Molly was pregnant during a lot of the um, shooting of the show. And it kind of made me wonder how much did the pregnancy and having to kind of cover that up and, and, most of the scenes affect 
the way that the character was originally written? Like, was it kind of an easy thing to pull off? Or was there more for Maybell that kind of had to be shifted a little bit? I don't remember us writing for or shifting too much okay. for that. All right. Yeah. No, I don't. It was just more f- physical. Uh, yeah. No, she's like. Things on the scene. Always mm-hmm. got a book, the knitting, <laughs> behind a chair. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> It's not something super obvious. It's like until you know, you know it, just like, and then you see the thing, and you're like, oh yes. But in terms of the yeah. writing and the changing of Maybell's story, no, I I, did, I don't think there was a lot of that. So Carson gets that motivational speech, the general boot Morales speech yes. from Beverly. And, and then just kind of in the same way that Max kind of goes to an extreme, maybe. No, I shouldn't say in the same way. So we've just seen Max go to an extreme. Yeah. Now we see Carson taking this advice yes. to an extreme. And this scene in the locker room must have been so fun to write. Uh-huh. It plays to Abby Jacobson's comedic strengths so well. It's so brilliantly awkward. It's so... <laughs> She's so good at it. Like, yeah, that that try coat that she's got on. I'm going to try. I'm going to do it. And you're like, my favorite is like Greta going, you know, you're doing that this voice thing. This. What? Yeah. And then and then I think it's Shirley who's like next. It's like, yeah, it's it's like pitched up. It's pitched up. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful, wonderful scene. So and then to end it with Joe. (laughs) Uh, not Joe sorry with Jess who wants to like don't move do not move your feet I loved it I love that one thing I noticed though is and then I mean maybe this is telling us that Greta is a little bit sick of the way that Carson's been acting because when Carson says the next person to laugh gets benched and Lupe says oh really ha ha and Greta cracks up Mm-hmm. At that, and I'm like, Woo. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, <laughs> I love Carson, I do, but it's a lot. It, yeah, <laughs> from time to time, like it's 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 a lot, and that's why as Carson goes through her becoming, I feel like everyone starts to settle too and go, oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, but when Carson is trying to figure it out. It can be so messy that you just got to either like laugh it away for real or like you kind of just want to go. Yeah. Get it together. I will say that that's what I want to do with all love, Carson, with all love. (laughs) (laughs) So during the the game that they have, nobody, again, is taking Carson seriously. Mm -mm. They refuses to pitch and that takes us to this perfect scene between Jess and Lupe that I love so much because we finally I mean we all know why Lupe's mad yeah for for the most part but everybody else just thinks that she's being a sore sport and being you know grumpy and just like doesn't like Carson but she still hasn't forgotten that fight and everybody's reaction to it she hasn't and i feel like we all know why lou is mad we do 
But there there might be some who watch that and don't quite know. Yeah, yeah. Actually, the more I think about it, we might know it now. We might know why Lupe is mad through some work or through the like people we have loved and been adjacent to or because we felt that feeling ourselves. But on the whole, maybe people needed to hear Lupe say that to then go back and rewatch that fight. Yeah. And see it through Lou's eyes. Right. Carson did grab her first. Yeah. Um, Lupe was villainized for a fight that she wasn't grabbed first within. And how many slights is Lou expected to take without actually Ha- like she she gets to have her feeling yeah and her feeling is correct these things happen to her and it's what I love in that scene is like they're calling each other brother and also brother did you see what happened to yeah. me and for Jess to take that and have to like sit with that for a second once Lupe lays it out and then hopefully the next stage in their friendship is that Lupe never has to lay that out again right Hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You could just as easily think that Lupe is just still angry about Dove being gone, about the fact that Carson, you know, even before the fight was basically seen as the coach, even though they were kind of co-coaching, but everybody for the most Mm -hmm. part was rooting for, for Carson to be coach and Lupe feeling like she didn't, um, get that fair shake. Yeah. Carson called Lupe a head case and then get a, got a hug from Shirley. Yeah. Like there's a lot that's been happening to Lupe that we haven't been counting. Right. Lupe hurts. And sometimes when you hurt, you don't want to play alongside a team that's also like hurting you. Yeah. Somebody on that team needed to hear that. Yes. And if we're brothers, Hey, then let me tell you, brother, what it is you might not be seeing. I love the way that it's played. And I also love that it is said. Yeah. And it's said so well. And then that kind of brings me to the scene between Max and Carson, where they're talking and Carson says, oh, things would be so much easier for me if Mm -hmm. you were on my team. And Max says, Mm -hmm. what did you do about it at tryouts? You know, mm-hmm. and and I love that in both scenes, it's so matter of fact, so simply stated, straightforward. It doesn't have to be this like long, but it's just like, hey, this is the shit that you don't see that we deal with yeah. <laughs> all all the time, yeah. and you know, just making them aware of the the privilege because it, you know, we think like today twenty. 22 how much people are still you know blind to their own um privilege back then (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. can only can only imagine that you know that that wasn't even a thing that ever crossed a lot of their their radars you're right it didn't cross their radars and for me carson has been praising max rightfully so yeah going this is the you're the fastest pitcher 
there's insinuations you are the most talented that she's ever like hit off of or caught off of. And yet, if I am the most talented, if I am the fastest, you've seen me and you didn't advocate. And there are those moments where you hear a compliment coming at you where it feels painful because there's nothing you can do to activate that compliment in your life, right? Mm. That's what's happening yeah. with Max. Yeah. Like if you go back and like watch Shantae's face, it's not like she breaks out into a smile when people are telling her she's good. Yeah. What it is, is like, I, I can't manifest that. Yeah. And now you're telling me how good it would be if you were with me. I tried that, homie. I tried that. Yeah. I did. I was actually, actually, that was like day one, episode one. I tried that. Yeah. And so for Carson, like to, to hear that, like the compliment, what could have been something she thought was so nice was actually a little bit of a violence because of how the world is working. Carson needed to hear that. And I love that Max is just asking questions that are getting underneath that and not helping her work through that. Right. Something that this show, and I'm sure like everyone in the writer's room obviously was so careful to avoid are the mistakes of um, you know, the green book, the help, like all the, <laughs> like all the white savior kind of stuff that, that everyone I feel like goes into something said in 1940, a little bit nervous about like, oh no, we're not going to see this play out again. And the writers of this show um, are so careful and thoughtful to make sure that that does not happen. And it's so refreshing. I will say that that was an important thing inside the writer's room. Every time we had moments of like shredding with our characters as they are noticing what the world around them, um, it, how that's playing upon them. We asked ourselves, what are we, what are we doing in this moment? What are we saying? Who has the burden here? And are we sure we're not writing something that's going to make it just easier to swallow and get to the next moment? Yeah. Who are we raising up? Who are we keeping? Who are we maybe keeping down in the raising up? All of those were questions. So I'm I'm happy to hear that it's resonating because all of those moments were looked at. <laughs> yeah. How do we do that? Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. you can tell because again, it's it's done so well. It made me think what well, was on um, a Seth Meyers sketch called White Savior, that kind of lampoon. It's like a movie mm. trailer for mm -hmm. an Amber stars mm -hmm. in it. And it's it's so perfect and hits on just like all of the tropes. And you prove that it does not have to be that way. You can write these shows and you can have these conversations without centering the white character without having it 
move the white character without having the black characters do the the labor to move the white characters forward or to give them redemption right. and all of that. Um, and still be in relation. In yes. Relation, and still be in relation. Like, yeah. like, still trying to figure out how to have a friendship. But what you're doing is not wicking away the hard things that, like, go in to making a friendship. Yeah. Sometimes I might need to go, hey, you can't do that. Or like, hey, consider this. And so, because um, it was also important not to say for us that if there can't be something honest, true, and blossoming between Max and Carson. Right. It's just, let it be real. Yeah. So at the end of that scene, Max gets up and says, I can't keep doing this to myself. Yeah. Before she leaves. What is the this she's talking about? Okay, so this is where, you know, the line can hold a lot. <laughs> That's what it felt like. So I'm like, we need to unpack because there's probably a lot of this. Yeah, I, I, she's like, it's like she keeps putting herself inside of a dream and uh, inside of a dream that and keeps hitting a brick wall and Carson in this moment is if not the wall a reminder of the wall yeah where she cannot progress beyond a point it's like the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over and over again with the same result and expecting a different outcome right she cannot keep doing that to herself anymore so for me when I was inside of that that's that's the most present meaning inside that line for me. And then, of course, it, it starts breaking open, you know, into like, what does it mean to be inside of a dream that you're not interrogating? And it, like, even for yourself, you know what the dream is going to do to you. But why do I keep coming back here? I can't keep doing this myself. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. But yeah, that I think the most concrete meaning for me is she keeps putting herself in a position where she's going to lose a dream over and over again and she cannot keep doing that and then that Mm -hmm. takes her I mean she sees Clance one more time and kind of talks about needing to figure out what she is without baseball and Clance says who even is Max if she's not playing baseball um Mm -hmm. and Max is on a journey to find that out and then kind of goes to the other extreme from getting her hair done by her mom to getting it done by Bert. Exactly. And in the end, and wow, what a... I think it's, there's nothing like choosing a haircut. Yeah. Choosing that for yourself. Yeah. Like I do, I do think Max is like asking herself... Okay, sorry, running back. You go back to that scene where it's like, I can't keep doing this to myself. And then there's that walk home or her way home to Clance that you don't see. I'm so interested in that moment as she's like, Mm. probably weeping her way home. Yeah. And going, I don't even know why I like this. I don't know why I do this to then get to that clan scene where I'm thinking about putting it down. I think she had been really thinking about that. Yeah. And then if you don't have that anymore, who are you? So it's like, 
a radical change to start going, well, maybe it's this. Maybe I'm this new person, a, a Max with shorter hair. If they say I am Birdie, then maybe I am and I go. And then that's what I love about that scene is that in the run into a new thing that isn't baseball, that she doesn't quite know what it is, what she hears is the old song, Home. Yeah. There's only so much running you can do. But play this out, Max. Play it out. Play it out. Play it out. Play it out. <laughs> you will figure it out. Go on this journey. Go, go, go. Um, but there is an echo of home that's going to be coming from whatever new place she's at. Yeah. Okay. And just to wrap up with the episode of, of what's going on with the peaches, it's, you know, Greta confronting Carson, gets Carson to realize a little mm -hmm. bit what, what she's been up to. And, um, you know, we talked about before how we get that nice scene between Greta and Joe and Carson brings back that quote from Greta and tries to pull from other people and let other people feel like they have power and influence and like they, they are a team and she's not all, you know, high and mighty boots Morales mm -hmm. <laughs> in, the, <laughs> in the locker room and they can finally play and maybe trust each other a little bit and you have that great moment with Lou, you know, asking for the the signal and um, yeah. I, I love the way that Roberta Kalindra has played this entire episode uh, and the, mm -hmm. the character because it, it sometimes Lou is so tough and has to be so strong, but you can tell she's such a softy and oh, she, soft. and she's got she's got these feelings that she is feeling all of them, like when Carson catches her pitching and she's kind of talking to herself, like, get out of your head. And, you know, <sighs> that actually broke me a little bit <laughs> because she actually used Carson's word for her. So it also yeah, it speaks to how oh. much this costs. She's like, I, she's like, get it together, head case. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. She says the word head case, yeah. which is so specific. And it lets you know that like she had that conversation with Jess, right? Where this is what happened to me, but that doesn't stop the fact that what happened to me hurt and I'm rattled by it. Yeah. The journey Lou goes on. And if you're really, I think you really, everyone should really watch what Roberta's doing and, and that, that character of Lou, because as much as Lou is tough, you see where it shakes her when people call her things carelessly. Yeah. And you see how that affects her. It affects her game. She's not like tough in a silo. She's like, that's a face you got to put on, but like she's practicing, she's working, she's trying. And Carson's words have eaten a part of her brain. Yeah. Well, because Carson, by saying that in in the first place and kind of the treatment of the team, it's like Lube is not allowed to hold on to the feelings that she had. Like, she's not allowed to be angry. It's like, how many times do people in that situation have to just get over it? And if you don't get over it, you're a head case. So it's like, well, we were all in the fight, you know, get over it. it like, that's 
basically being said to Lupe without those direct words, but everybody's just kind of waiting for her to get over it without even addressing anything that's happened. And then if you don't do that, then you're a head case. You must be crazy exactly. and you're making Carson cry. Like, that's a exactly. lot. That's a lot to that's, put on. <laughs> that's a lot. So that's why I'm like, when you watch Lupe, like watch her in those interstitial scenes where she's not public facing. Yeah. To see what the cost of that yeah. is. Because there's a cost there and you don't always see it. And so I guess I'm just calling people's attention to it because... Sometimes even in our own life, we're not watching what the cost is. And so watch those moments to see. She's not like Teflon. It hurts. Right. I want to get into some questions for you about the episode overall. Who was your favorite character to write for on this episode? You had told me to think about that. And I think I like tried to unthink it because I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I... Yeah, I think it's going to be Max. Nice. It is going to be Max. Yeah. To write for Max this episode, Max went through all the things from uh, an internal shattering to a, I'm going to fix it. I'm okay. It's all right. Uh, Which is also really fun to write to then, you know, pivot into like the worst fight with your mom, which craters you and then you move out to then you know go and you see your uncle and you're shattered by the mirror that you think you're looking into like (laughs) max's journey through this episode was a delicious thing to write for me yes um mm -hmm. i love that so yeah that's who it is for me There's no crying in baseball, but there is in watching this show. What was the most emotional scene for you in watching it? Interestingly for me, from Funny So, it was that shot, I think, through the trees or bushes when Carson is coming back and seeing Lupe practicing. Yeah. And calling herself a head case. Yeah. I think that's emotional for me because I've done things like that where I'm like, oh, no, I didn't do well today. Or, oh, no, I look like this person today. And then I go away and I call myself names. I call myself the names that either people have called me or I think people think of me and my heart for Lupe. It's so small. But that's the one for me that just made me kind of break. Yeah. For me, it was also a Lupe scene, but it was the one where she was having the conversation with Jess. Yeah, it, this one is an episode that's full, full of emotional scenes. So yeah. when you asked that question, I <laughs> wanted to go the one that actually made me missed. So that yeah. was the one. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Who is the MVP of this episode? Most valued player. These questions just make me go, but all of them, though. That's, that's them. fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, most valued player. Can it be a tie? Yeah. Okay, great. Because I am going to say the MVP, because of the weight on what uh, of this, this particular episode, the journey is going to be, 
uh, Max, played by Shante. Yes. But I, I wanna I wanna call out a special to I don't know why I have it in my heart to say this, but I do, and this is incongruous, but it's to Jess. Yes. It's to Jess because Jess did some the the way Jess listened is iconic for me. Yeah. Jess had a listening face with Lupe that made me go, I appreciate that. And we're talking, you know, and and then we're out on that. And that was great. Um, So, yeah, those two for me. I like those answers. I mean, Mm -hmm. for me, yeah, I have to stop myself from saying Clance every single episode. Um, But (laughs) also Bert. Bert. I I thought it was such a good character introduction. It, It was so powerful i loved all the choices i loved the the costuming um the manner of speaking mm-hmm. kind of the mm-hmm. the way that bert is like i'll let max come to me you know i'm gonna yeah keep keep it open and to that end okay sorry this is what i mean this is an impossible <laughs> game it is. It's an impossible. It's just a baseball term that I threw in. Because oh. <laughs> Bert, what I love is that Bert, when Max ran away. Yeah. Bert's first response when Max returned was one that had so much love inside of it. And I just love Bert for that. I love yeah. Max for that. And I, um, anyway. Because I could also then go and say MVP is Gracie because Gracie knew all of this was going down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. All of them. Um, all MVPs. Okay. Were there any strikes for you in this episode? Anything that you wish you could have done differently or anything that in watching it were like, oh, that's not quite what I had in mind? I do have a strike. I do have one. So you know when you um when um Carson calls Max back to the field, like after she's brought the pie in the bag and going like meet me, meet me, meet me. And they're yeah. back at that field for the second time. And Carson holds out that water cash. Yeah. Upon rewatch, I'm like, you know what, Max, just keep the cash. Take, <laughs> take the cash, put that in your back pocket, and then slide into something. I mean, it's much. I know that's so mean, but that's me. I love it. No, I love that. I love that. Keep the money. Max was <laughs> Max was so humble. Like, no, oh, no, keep you keep 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 that change. I'm like, nah, 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 nah. Let me hold that real quick. <laughs> That's so funny. It's such a real thing. I mean, just in like the most basic context, I think we've all had those moments where somebody has like offered us something and it's like, oh no, I'll, I'll pay for my own Uber. And then you're like, why did I let the person buy my Uber? Like they offered Mm -hmm. say yes. When someone's giving you money, say yes. Always say yes. Take it. Take it. So unless there's like some horrible strings attached, like take the money. Take it. So that, that was mine. I watched that and was like, "Mm, interesting. I love that. I love that. Mine is that Carson isn't really crying when they say, are you crying? Oh, There's oh, no crying. Oh, oh, oh. yes. That's I, wanna... <laughs> I mean, that opens up the portal onto like, what is the depth of the hurt? What is going on inside of that moment? How much of it is a frustration 
that she's not getting her way as opposed to like a real biological kick response, which is then also frustrating for Lupe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, I'm yeah, always yeah. like going to go down that lane. And so pull me back. Anyway. Mm-hmm. No, no, I was, yeah, I was kind of wondering like, oh, it, because she just kind of looked like defeated and frustrated. And then you could also take it as, yeah, Lu- Lupe is like, oh, great. Now you're going to cry, you know? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Like, because I know that... <laughs> I've had those moments, too, where someone's like, oh, are you going to cry now? And it's like, that's the line that I was like, well, it wasn't until you said that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, What was a home run for you in this episode? Other than all of it. (laughs) Other than all of it, an absolute home run was when Bert does Max's hair with Gracie washing the plate. And Bert getting ready to do that. Yeah. And then that line for me, when Bert starts humming and Max is like, oh, that's the song my mom always sings. And and Bert says something like, and it seems like you came here to find a little piece of home. Yeah. That for me, I don't know why. Oh, chills. That's my iconic. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much. And everybody, everybody's begging for the season two announcement. May it be. May it be. May it be. It'd be insane. It'd be insane. I think people would take to the streets. Like it would make zero sense if this didn't get picked up for another season. I I know. I almost, it's like, I, I can't think about it too much because my heart has been broken with TV shows before. (laughs) Yeah. But this one feels so important, so prescient, so needed. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I'm going to do my little ritual over in the corner being like, bring it to me, bring it to me season two. (laughs) So I know. Yeah. I I know it doesn't work this way uh, in TV world, but like we we would trade all of the L word for another season. Like like, like they they could put that in the vault forever. They could could get another season. They could. For the longest time, that was my only show. The way I, it was. That's a great way to describe it. The only one. (laughs) The way I glommed onto Tasha, I was like, she's black and okay, it's my show. Uh, I hope Amazon is listening and I hope I I hope there's a season two, three, four. Yes. And here we go. Because there's so many stories to tell with so these many, characters who have so many stories. <sighs> Great. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Oh, do you want people to follow you on social media or is there anything or any other projects that you want to plug right now? Oh, yes. People should follow me. And also, you all know, you've probably heard it. Because I said it that I am the worst at social media, but come on over. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I do have a play going up in uh, New Jersey right now. Uh, oh, her portmanteau. Is it right now? I'm lying. It's going to be opening in October. When I say right now, it's because I'm like starting to see this the swing of things. So there's that. And you know, uh, other than that, theatrically, that's it. And yeah, keep watching a league of their own. 
Thank you again. Thank you. It was so great meeting you. I hope to run into you. Same. Yes. Bye. Thanks again for listening. And remember to subscribe and rate five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can follow the podcast at League of Their Own Pod on Insta. And you can follow me on Instagram at TGI Carolyn. I also co-host another podcast called Diking Out. And it is exactly what it sounds like. So check that out if you want some more sapphic content. Lastly, this is a relatively new podcast and very much independently produced. So if you like what you hear and you want to help cover the production There is a link in the show notes for that. And lastly, remember, it's play catch, not have a catch. Take me right back to the track.